recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with, with Coach, Coach Renee Dreyfus and, and Matt Peters. Peters. Ring the bell and let's get it on. That's the longest 10 seconds of my life. You don't realize how long 10 seconds is until you're actually waiting 10 seconds. There's an interesting thing that says that 10 seconds uh, uh, is all relative. When it's 10 seconds of pure pain or boredom, it can last forever. But if it's 10 seconds of something amazing, it goes by like that. So Relativity, you know, our, sir. Yeah, our sense of time Uh-oh. is always relative. You know, mm. it's kind of an interesting thing. That's too highbrow for this show. That's no, too much like, knowledge. No, we're like the NPR of MMA. That's what people said. Did you read the review? NPR of MMA. You got to be highbrow. Well, that's a little you. Bit. I'm the Comedy Central of MMA. <laughs> You're the Comedy Central. So anyway, <laughs> we're back again. We're back. Let's get right into it. We have a great guest on the show. Fantastic again guest. for you guys. I am so incredibly happy to have uh, introduced you guys, our listeners, to Professor Dennis Ash, who I was incredibly fortunate enough to have met in Brazil and trained with him. Uh, Dennis, say if you could say hello to everybody and, and um, tell us a little bit about your martial arts background. I know you started in Jeet Kune Do. Uh, Kuno and 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 you know how you got started in the martial arts, and I think everybody's going to find your journey super inspiring. I know, uh, as I, I was saying before the phone break, um, you really, really uh, touched me when I went down to Brazil. I was, um, you know, I I didn't know anybody. It was like a little bit, I wouldn't say unfriendly, but you know, you don't know anybody, in it, and you took me under your wing. You're like, okay, let's meet seven a.m. and train, and still to this day, the techniques that you taught me and the friendship you showed me. You know, that's what martial arts is about. It's like friendship and connection and helping. And I've never met uh, such a wonderful martial arts technique, but also in terms of personality and who you are and the way you carry yourself. You know, I kind of like, you know, when I say like what kind of martial arts I want to be, and it's like, yeah, I want to be like Dennis. That's always like kind of in my heart, you know. So it's just so great to have you here and uh, and and just reconnect on, on this podcast. And I hope people can find you as inspirational as I always have have found you. So anyway, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you got started in the martial arts, and then we could just take it from there. All right. Well, my name is Dennis Ash, and uh, Renee, Matt, thank you both, gentlemen, for having me on your show. Uh, it's a it's an honor for me, and thank you for all those kind words to, to start things going. I couldn't stop smiling just listening to you guys open the show up. You guys both got great personalities, and uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to be on the show. So a, a little bit about myself. I, I did start out when I was seven years old in uh, Kempo Karate in Bend, Oregon. That's my hometown, and uh from there, it led on to several other traditional styles of martial arts and eventually into JKD, which uh, was brought about by watching that first UFC back in 1993 and uh, just just seeing uh, the effectiveness of, of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and being able to see people putting things together and uh, being able to take advantage of the most effective ranges of uh, fighting. Yeah, and I think and people don't there, realize in 92, it was like JKD was – just before the UFC, the only people who were talking about America of mixing styles was JKD. And I think their their approach was maybe flawed, but it was like the idea of like cross-training. Uh, if you weren't in JKD, you didn't cross-train, you know? Like it's like that's kind of how to how people approach cross-training back then, right? Am I – would you agree? 100%. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. That's uh... – and that's what really got me into uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and uh, Thai boxing and, and my training through JKD. My uh, my instructor, Pat Lackman, uh, had pointed me in the right direction as far as uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and introduced me to Jean-Jacques Machado and uh, Bong Sanik Yotin uh, down there at uh, 
at uh, MTA USA in North Hollywood. And I had, I left my, my home and in central Oregon to go down there and train because I was seeking higher training. I wanted another level. I didn't want to end up being a big fish in a, in a small bowl. I wanted to go out there and did you hitchhike? That, didn't you hitchhike down to LA or something like that? Is that the, if I remember the story correctly, you just like packed <laughs> I up your bags. I thought you hitchhiked to Brazil. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, sir. How do yes, you do sir, that? I, did. I uh, that, that was the, I had spent about a year down in, in LA and I come back up to, to uh, Oregon and uh, in 2001, summer of 2001, I, I hitchhiked down there. I remember still looking up at the, the clear blue sky with a, a few of the white clouds up there on Highway 97 as I faced south and just looking at uh, looking at the highway ready to go. That is super. $10 in my pocket and uh, a, a change of clothes and my training gear. That was it. My bag. <laughs> this is just so awesome. It's like, it's like you know, a story like a, like the Ronin wandering the old, you know, highways of Japan Did going to training. Did you solve any crimes on the way or save any damsels in distress? <laughs> <laughs> the renegade. Right, that's what it felt like. It felt like uh, it felt like an adventure, and it was. It truly was an adventure. Getting down there the first time, I just you know I went down to MTA USA, and I remember when I had called my my Muay Thai crew, and and uh, they had okayed it for me to stay at the gym, and and I got down there. It took a while. When I got down there, they, I called them from a payphone. This you know I, back in the era, there were still quite a few payphones on the street, and uh, they said. Hurry up! We got dinner ready. No, I didn't want to spend my my ten bucks to get across town, so I I walked across town from uh, from uh, Sunset Boulevard into North Hollywood. And anybody that's familiar with L.A. knows it's a it's a trek. That's a really long but, walk. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. And then so you were focusing a little bit on on Muay Thai uh, in the beginning, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, that was my focus when I when I got down. I really wanted to work on my striking. I, I of course I wanted to develop my ground game as well, but. Uh, I was really focused on on stand up, and uh, a good friend who I had met through MTA USA, uh, Josh Lazy, introduced me to John Machado, where he was training at the time. And uh, John had just opened up a really small academy on uh, the Miracle Mile in the Wilshire District. Oh, I know the one and, you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he is not there yeah. anymore, right? No, he's long. No, he's right? not. He's yeah. in Texas now. Yeah. He's in Allen, Texas. But uh, at the time, it was an amazing experience. And and uh, Professor John Machado took me under his wing, and and uh, he broke down my game. I remember when I first went in there, I, you know, had a hard headed. I, I was already fighting MMA, so I was pretty hard headed. I got in there and I was like, I, I need to kill everyone, you know, <laughs> to take everyone apart. So I went at it, and you know, fairly fairly new students, and I was. After I got done rolling, he said, oh, my friend, come here, you know, let's roll. <laughs> and he proceeded to just grind me into the mat. And, uh, you know, yeah, and oh, honestly, I don't, I don't think he liked me a lot at first, but, uh, you know, he saw really. You, you know, it's yeah. funny. My, I, I actually, you know, the, the five brothers, so if you listeners don't know, they're five Machado brothers and their mother, yeah. sister is married, was married to Carlos Gracie. And so they're like by marriage cousins of the Gracie's and they grew up very close with the Gracie's. I, I had the pleasure of, of sharing the mats with Higa Machado and he's yeah. um, the second oldest, I believe. And then there's John yeah. Machado, John Jacques Machado, Hoja Machado and Hoja Machado. And I think, am I missing one? <laughs> Higan. Uh, Hoger, yeah, yeah, John, yeah, and Roger, Carlos. Inter- yeah, yeah, Carlos, right, right. And the interesting thing is, yeah. they're all games are very different. Their personalities are completely different, and uh, but together they're like this, you know, the 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 five deadly venoms. You know, <laughs> they're they're just amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. that some of the nicest people. You know, when you meet them, the first time I walked in the Machado Academy, I was like maybe a little intimidated. It was just 
everyone was so nice and 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 just truly wanting to help and teach you. And you know, when I came from judo, I think you probably felt the same thing. When you come from another martial art and you're like, oh, you want to cross train? Back in the day in the '90s, it was like jujitsu, especially from the Gracie family side was a little bit like, do I want to step into this academy? Are they going to kill me? You know, like, especially I was a judo guy. So there was like, you know, this, this, you know, like, are they going to you know F me up? And there was the w- complete opposite. They're just like, you know, welcome because the Machados were not like that. They were always like, we want to cross train. We want to have build uh, uh, relationships with other styles. And, um, and I, I just think, you know, I would thank them for that because uh, that, that, that hospitality is something that I always try to have in my academy when I have other people coming in from other styles. I'll say, you know, whatever style you study, you're welcome. Um, obviously, there's technical differences, but, you know, if you welcome people with open arms, it, it can only be a good thing. And, and I'm, I'm very, very gratified for that. And I'll tell you, many martial arts academies I went to before, when you do a different style, it's not like that. You know, like you just, they're like, we have to kill you now. <laughs> so I um, understand 100%. Yeah. So. But I'm sure he had a smile the whole time he was rolling with you, right? Oh, yeah. 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 As he ground me in the mat, he was smiling. And (laughs) yeah, always, always an amazing professor. And that was one of the things that you just said is 100% true. And the fact that he was real big on maintaining because he knew I, I trained daily my Thai boxing. He says, don't stop doing that. He says it's important that you train your Thai boxing and that you cross train and you maintain a, a level of functionality and and maintain your skill set in that. At the same time, you're training jujitsu, and at the at the time, you're absolutely right. In the late '90s, early 2000s, it was most jujitsu academies are like that's it, that's the end all is your jujitsu. You don't need to train anything else. And uh, he was ahead of the game and in uh in that aspect and he always greeted everyone with open arms and and he really he broke my game down completely and built it back up into uh what eventually uh got me to brazil when when did you start training with jean jacques that would have been the late 90s okay yeah wow yeah, that would have been late 90s and then uh i went back to oregon and then uh came back down to uh to los angeles and that's when i that's when i started training at john's Oh, got and, it. Uh, so, yeah. and then, and you had already had a number of Valley Tudo fights. Um, I actually knew you before I knew you because I had this like um, this video, this old video. I think it was called like 101 submissions. And, uh, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. And you're like right in the middle. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. That move. And then when I, I met you, about that. yeah, it's only after I left Brazil. I'm like, oh my God, that's him. You know, like that's the guy. <laughs> It was this yeah. moment, right? And yeah. it was, uh, you finished with the Kimura, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, that I remember. It. I, and I like watched that video of you doing that Kimura probably like a hundred times. And I started trying to copy <laughs> it because it was so good. Uh, but what was it like fighting like in the Valley Tudo in America way back in the, in the you know, the, the early ages of, you know, before MMA was kind of like, quote unquote, sanitized. What, what was it like back then? Well, number one, if you fight, you really loved fighting because there wasn't a lot of money in it. So if you did it, you did it for love of your heart, and it was uh, out of to prove something to yourself, and uh, you know just because you enjoyed doing your thing. And uh, there were very, very few rules, and as it wasn't legal, uh, the fights were held primarily on Indian reservations where the federal government didn't have jurisdiction, and that's where most of my fights happened. And how many it was fights? Great. How many? It, it was it was a lot of fun. Before you Go went, ahead, before you went to Brazil, how many fights did you have? If you don't mind me asking, I had let's see, one, two, I had seven fights before I went wow. to Brazil. Wow, that's and, fantastic! Uh, yeah, yeah, not a not a huge number, but it was enough to give me a 
a, a good eye opener into what I was looking forward to doing in the future. And uh, that was that was another big thing being with uh, John Machado, not to stray off the subject, but he when I when I got to John Machado's um, training as a blue belt, uh, he had told me to, you know, he said, I'm not your dad. Uh, I'm not your boss. He said, but, you know, I want there's something that I believe that you should do is focus on your jujitsu. Um, and build up your ground game and, and really work that before moving on in MMA. He said, I want you to be at least a purple belt before you, uh, before you fight MMA. And I said, no problem. I said, I trust you. I believe you. And, uh, he never led me astray at really, I mean, the, the, the jujitsu training was something that, uh, made all the difference in the world for me. And, uh, yeah, it, like I said, it got me to Brazil and, 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 and uh, it's what, uh, it, essentially, created the life that I have now today and, and can, the can academies I, that I have. And, can and, I interrupt you? Yeah. So this is a moment Absolutely. where I have to, have to say Je- Dennis is being way too humble. No. One of the reasons he went to Brazil was because the Gracies had this incredibly big tournament where if you won it, you got a free trip. And it was like the hardest, most intense grappling tournament in the history Mortal of all. Gra- yeah, basically, because they allowed slams. It was oh. no time limit. It was, uh, it was, there's no points. If you're like, it was like, like hour long fights. It was like the most crazy grappling tournament ever. Mm-hmm. There's never been any other grappling tournament like says, it. I went to Brazil. Yeah, you went to Brazil. No, he won. I got won. a plane ticket. No, <laughs> no you won Mortal Kombat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what was that tournament like? I know you won it. And then, of course, uh, was it Henner won it as well as a kid or something? Yeah. Yeah, and a couple other guys. Yeah, there was so – yeah. Yeah, there were uh, Elliot Marshall. Uh, oh, Elliot Marshall. That's uh, right. From Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. There, God, there was a – Fought in the UFC. Um, yeah, I had I had several teammates as well that were in that. Um, uh, Chris from Street Sports, uh, he's got an academy down in uh, in uh, Studio City now, I believe. Um, he was in it too. He or won. He, the, the, he's Chris from Hanato Magno's academy, right? Yes, sir. Right, yes, right. right. Um, I, I know who you're talking about. Justin from over in uh, in uh, uh, Las Vegas. Uh, he was Mika's student at the time. Um, we had uh, yeah, there was there was a good group. Um, and they, you know, they all res- won their respective, uh, divisions and, uh, you know, we got to, to share that experience, which is that definitely was, that's one of the things I say till, till today, it was a, uh, a life changing experience. And that's what, uh, that's what, uh, the, the, the jujitsu championship was supposed to be right from the start. It was, uh, that was the, that was the big deal. It was, uh, if, if you guys win, this is going to be a life changing experience. And it definitely was for me, I just being able to, uh, to go through that first off, like you said, the championship was awesome. You yeah, know, was, tell, tell us it, about it, it. it. I know it was like grueling. I mean, unbelievable fights there. It, yeah, it, it was, it was, that it was one of the things that really got people to open their games up because they, uh, they knew that you weren't going to win just by, uh, just by passing guard and, and hanging out or, or, uh, or, uh, uh, out pointing the other guys unless it was, they, they actually did have a rule. If you got more than 12 points ahead of the other person. So they did have, uh, they did have a uh, a, point, a system. point system, but if you got more than twelve points ahead, then they would they would call the match. That's actually but interesting. Would... Yeah, no, that's it's like like a like a a technical uh, win in wrestling. They do that if you outpoint the guy enough, you basically win the match. Uh, I, I forgot what it's it's like a technical win or something, technical fall. Yeah, yeah. I think I like that idea where it's like almost submission only, but not quite submission only. It's a nice, interesting hybrid, and there were also slams allowed too, right? Yeah. Yeah, fans yeah, were allowed. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. It, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was and and it how was many great. fights? I, how many matches did you have? I've 
I think five to the to yeah five to win five to win the final. And 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 do you remember him at all? Do you remember the finals? Maybe or? six. Yeah. Uh, finals. Yes. Final uh, was Jeff Glover in my in my division, and uh, he had submitted everyone in his uh, leading up to that, and uh, I. Uh, I had a 22-minute match with him, I think. You and fought I, Jeff I Glover. Was... I had no idea. Yeah. So if you guys I don't did. know, Jeff Glover is like super famous um, jiu-jitsu stud. Mm. And, and you beat him. Yeah. So, wow. Jiu-jitsu. We talked yeah, about I did. I, I, I did slam him in the end and uh, <laughs> passed his guard and won. But, oh <laughs> we, we had so a funny he, joke at yeah, the beginning I got, about – I got kind of – I'll be honest with you. After 22 minutes, I didn't think that there was any way that he was going to be able to submit me. And uh, that guy is crafty. He's got very good jiu-jitsu. And he shot up a triangle. And uh, I thought th- two ways. Okay, I'm going to – I'm going to work to defend it, or I'm going to take the path of least resistance. So I just <laughs> slammed him, and and uh, that was the end of story. But and, you know, uh, it's funny because I that, but... I come from a judo background, and the thing is, if yeah. you get put in a triangle and they lift you off the floor, you 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 have to let it go, like you lose, like you have to let that's that's right. yeah. And I kind of like that rule too, where they don't allow slams, but they're like, if I can pick you up. I could smash your head on the concrete. So therefore, right. you know, like like sometimes I feel like – don't get me started on this topic. But I feel like sports jiu-jitsu has gone down this like weird rabbit hole of lack of functionality in combat. And uh, so like you guys do these things where they just sit there and they allow guys to do stuff that – and the self-defense can counter. And MMA would just not be smart. So I, I while that slam rule is a little crazy in terms of safety, I, I think it's really cool because it's like, man, if you do a triangle and you're not – Holding on to the guy's leg or finding a way to not get your head slammed on the concrete, you, that triangle's not good. For yeah, you. yeah, I agree with you in that. I think the 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 rules in sport jiu-jitsu now are are uh, getting making the the sport itself watered down. And back to that, it, like in that final, I didn't. I know how to really hurt somebody. I could have jumped on top of his head or something. I didn't do that. I slammed him on his back intentionally because I didn't want to. I didn't want to permanently damage him or something. I just wanted to open the triangle up. So, you know, that said. Uh, <laughs> in hindsight, maybe I maybe 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 I wouldn't have slammed. Maybe I would have worked to defend it more. But uh, that was the path of least resistance. Oh. And in today's sport, you're 100 percent right. I, I do believe that uh, that our jujitsu is like with the the leg reaping and and all these things that it just keeps getting more and more and more watered down to the point where it's uh, it's it, it, at some points it's ridiculous. You know, one thing I have to say also, like I, I basically online stalk you. I admit it. <laughs> I'm a fan, and I watched your I watched you the blue belt test that you had. And I love that you make guys do like a kind of MMA match to get their blue belt. Like, that's great. Oh, you know, like, it's like, yeah. why don't why does everybody do that? Like, you see right away what's real and what's not. And you see who's ready for blue and who's not. You know, it's, it's great for you to, to do that. You know, it's so real and so important to, to keep our roots, you know, back in, in fighting. You know, when I started jiu-jitsu, everybody on the mat I was training with was like, I want to fight. Or I, I'm interested in fighting or I'm interested in self-defense. It wasn't like... Yeah, I'm just like I roll. That. I want to burn some calories or you know whatever. It was like we're here to study violence, and I miss those days. Right. I miss them, you know. Yeah, well, thank you for that. That's I, I do. I would see it as an injustice if we didn't do a couple of things. Number one, everyone has to know how to close the gap and take a person down. That's period. If you train in my academy, you have to know how to take down and throw. It's it. It just goes without saying. I would be doing an injustice to people telling them that they're learning something that's applicable in self-defense if they don't know how to take the fight to the ground or if they don't know how to avoid being taken down. It's extremely important. And then once more on that, when we test, it's uh, it's one of those things where you have to be able to 
to take a punch. You need to be able to close the gap and, and take that person down. And I do it uh, without the, the, the testees aren't allowed to strike back. So they have to close that gap and take the person down without punching or kicking back. That's so, actually we had very to, hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. You have a tendency to want to, okay, I got hit. I want to hit him back, you know, but especially if you got a striking background, but it's, uh, it's something that makes it even more challenging. And we had, uh, I had my, our first, uh, women's test this last weekend too. My wife tested for her purple belt. And, uh, it, so there were some other standards that we've added and applied and she's, she kind of set the bar for other women in the fact that not only is there, uh, uh, technical self-defense uh there's there is live self-defense application where the woman has to get back up to her feet from being with from an opponent who's trying to hold them down and uh as well as uh uh they have to take down a striking opponent but it's different you don't see a lot of women's fights where they're coming at you as like a a, a, yeah. a good boxer course, or, or something like that they're grabbing hair and they're slapping right right so right. that's what the, the 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 difference in the women's self-defense or live application the woman has to take down a, a another woman who's empty hand slapping and, and trying to grab on so it made a huge difference and i'm super proud of my wife joe sarah for uh, for doing an awesome job and, and passing into her purple belt this last weekend so fantastic it helped like i said to, it's amazing. to set the bar for for future tests fantastic no you know it's interesting because like i follow a lot of crime statistics and you see gender equivalent assault male male gender equivalent assault female female are incredibly different in the way they play out and gender non-equivalent assault is also different male on female and female on male like they're just completely different so when we're talking self-defense you have to talk your terms well who's attacking who what 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 patterns are most likely when it's a guy attacking a girl well obviously you know, it's probably going to be either robbery-related, kidnap-related, or sexual assault-related. So it's going to play out very differently. It's not guys going not going to like square up and start throwing, you know, punches. You know, it's it's different. So exactly, yeah. So you have to like when I do when I teach, I gender the curriculums. Like, okay, women have to learn this part of the self-defense first. At the end of the day, everybody learns everything, but you have to learn this first because this is what's most important for you. Now, that being said, you know, I, I make everybody learn everything, but but it's like, where do you start, you know? And um, so that's kind of important. But then, so I don't want to take the time away from you. So you went down to Brazil, and and uh, I know you trained with uh, Elio Gracie. What was what was that like? That was pretty amazing. I did. That was amazing. That was a uh, life-changing experience. And until today, I, I thank the Gracie family for putting on that tournament and uh, Orion for introducing me. Uh, to Rio de Janeiro and uh, being able to stay with Elio, it was amazing. Um, of course, Hiro and Henner, uh, they they were great tour guides too, and uh, Halleck as well. But anyway, the uh, it was an amazing experience. I mean, first off, Elio at the time really he only spoke a few words in English, so it was uh, uh, you know there's probably a lot more things I would have asked him now that I speak uh, fluent Portuguese, but it was just you know I can't even describe the the feeling of being able to train with one of the founding fathers of Brazilian jiu-jitsu in their home and uh, learning, you know, the, he was uh, huge on basics. You know, he, he was really big. I mean, it's still at 93 year old, three years old when I was down there and he had a, a great uh, grip strength and that guy moved around. You wouldn't believe he didn't just walk. He ran. He was always doing it. People say, well, how do you stay so healthy? And he'd be doing air squats and he'd, you know, jump out of his car. He was still driving. He, he drove like a, like a Mario Andretti or something. <laughs> <eating> around. <laughs> no, you know, his X choke, good. his X choke is like, I've never seen anything like the only person who comes close is, 
is uh, maybe Hodra Gracie, but he does it from the yeah. mount, and and yeah. Elio would would like hang like a monkey off your neck. I I yeah. never trained I never trained yeah. with Elio, but I was I was present at one of his seminars. I had an injured knee, but he was teaching sure. at Kyoto BJJ in New York, and I I, uh-huh. I I went and watched, but I couldn't participate because I had, I had torn my uh, ACL. But just watching him and just. Rogue, like you're like, oh my god, this guy's just—he's legit. That's the thing. It's like you know, I talk about all these old masters, and you meet them, and you're like, yeah, you're full of shit. And then you meet this old guy who's in his nineties, and you're like, oh my god, this guy could still kill me. Who's full of shit? Renee never names names. Who's full of shit, Renee? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I can say it right now. I can say it right now, but I don't want. <laughs> he's mouthing the words. I won't tell. I won't tell. <laughs> None of our listeners will tell. No, but uh, um, and then I know after you went back and then you moved back down to Brazil, and this is I did. Yeah, this is something that you and I share, and and it's one thing that when we were talking, when I, I went down to Rio and I stayed in this place called um, On the Mat, which was a dorm, and yeah. Jen Dennis was like running it, helping out, and. And we just started talking, and then we had, went to get some sushi, and we're talking. And he had a, you had a very similar experience to me. I know it was is like kind of a very tragic thing, but the minute you get there and you suffered a very you know debilitating accident, um, can you tell the, what it was like and and how you overcame that? Is this is this is why you're so inspiring absolutely. to me? Yeah, absolutely. That uh, well, first off, I, I wanted to I, I definitely want to thank uh, Scotty from On the Mat. He he helped me to uh, get situated and and uh, helped out a lot, and he allowed me to to manage his place uh, when he'd go back and forth to, to the States and uh, be filming. And, you know, he was a, one of the, one of the pioneers. Yeah. And, and he doesn't United get a lot States enough thanks. Down. Like way back when, you know, there was, it yeah. was like the eight before video YouTube, like it would be Scotty and a couple other guys who would like film a, a tournament in Brazil. Fever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you'd be like, and you download it and you're like, Oh my God, I actually saw a tournament from Brazil, but it, it was like, that's the only thing you, you, they had this little bastion of, of Americans in, in, in Rio. It was the only way to get the information back up other than like, you know, a local blue belt or something like that. Obviously there's some black belts at that time, but, but they yeah, were very, so very few. Far there was no YouTube. Yeah, no YouTube. No YouTube. A lot of people take for granted now. I mean, YouTube didn't come around until 2005. So it was, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, when totally it comes different. to new white belts, though, I kind of wish there was no YouTube. <laughs> I'm like, stop watching YouTube agree, yeah. and just do what I tell you. <laughs> yeah. You, you yep. cannot do the Baron so, Bowler yet. No. <laughs> yeah. No. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. That, that, it's a love hate relationship yeah. I have with YouTube. But, yeah. But uh, getting getting down there, I so when I when I came back to the states, I, I uh, sold everything I had and I went back down there in uh, and that was in 2003. And I had the intent of now that I was a purple belt, I was going to uh, I was going to start fighting MMA again. And uh, I got accepted onto the the first Valituro team there uh, in uh, Gracie Baja. And this is back when there was only one Gracie Baja in the world, and it was in Baja de Tijuca. And it was it was an amazing place to train at the time. There were so many world champions there. It was it was nuts. Um, anyway, so I, I got back down there, and we had Daryl Golar training our our uh, our squad for wrestling, and uh, we had some a, a couple of good solid striking coaches, and and uh, of course the jujitsu was you know Gordo, and uh, uh, about two three weeks into into training, uh, you know just day in and day out. Uh, we went in and and they had those jet power to Tommy mats and I had a pair of wrestling shoes on which I I shouldn't have had on that surface 
uh, during wrestling class and uh, Soka, Alexandri Soka was my partner and we were drilling uh, or positional positional takedown sparring off of the double leg and uh, my foot got caught on the mat, twisted around backwards and I got a really bad spiral fracture. And uh, back then it was, you know, it was one of those things too. I knew, I heard the crack and I knew something wasn't right, but I, I've sprained my ankles and broken toes and fingers, and ribs, and nose and concussions and all that stuff. And I just figured out oh, this isn't that bad. If I can get up and walk, then it's okay. So two guys dragged me off the mat and tossed me a, a bottle of lukewarm water to, to cool off my, my ankle with. And then uh, at the end of the, at the end of the session, which was about another half hour later, I stood up and I was like, okay, it can't be broken. I can still walk on it. I, it was, it was pretty bad though. I, I refused to go in there for a week. And, uh, that was at the time, uh, uh, Pete, the Greek was down there. He was staying in Copacabana. So we, you know, Scotty and I had going over there to visit him. And I remember like I, I, my foot was so swollen up. I couldn't get it in my shoe. I'd have to cram it in my shoe, opening the shoelaces. And, and then I tried to squeeze the blood out of it by, by <laughs> tying it really tight. And, uh, <laughs> finally got a week later, I got talked into going to get an x-ray and it was a, it was a really bad spiral fracture and there's pieces of bone broken off in there. And it was, I was like, he didn't go through the skin. Uh, it, it turned into a compound fracture and oh, I was, man. you know, I was devastated because I was used to, I went from training six days a week and Monday through Friday, I trained six to eight hours a day. And on the, on Saturday, that was my light day. I trained an average of three or four hours and, uh, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I said, what the heck am I going to do now? And, uh, and I had brought just enough money to survive for two months until I could fight. And that was out of the question. So I really had to, uh, I really had to think on what I was going to do in the meantime. And, uh, uh, so I started teaching English and, and, uh, teaching jujitsu and, and selling kimonos and doing whatever I could do to just stay afloat in the meantime, which is really tough. And that's what, uh, you know, and like I said, I was thankful to have Scotty there to, uh, to allow me to, to manage the, on the mat house and uh and uh they had they had talked me into it. they said you know what you should get a you should get a place and and uh start uh start renting out rooms and and doing that thing and he and uh oh so that's uh, how connection rio got started it, that's how connection rio got started yep, no so, kidding i didn't exactly know that right. yeah yeah so i did in the first house it wasn't called connection rio uh i didn't develop it the same way i did as a, eventually i eventually did in 2009 like much later down the road but this was in uh this was in 2004 the first house was set up and uh uh i had that i had that going on it was a lot of fun you know i took in some great people uh, yeah i know a few Travis people who are who are down there with you and they said they just had an amazing time i'd always meant to go down and i was always meant to and then you moved back up <laughs> but but uh but uh you know like you got a beautiful setup you, you what a you're like a great house and you really took care of it what i really liked it was and and on the mat was great but what I really liked is that everybody likes you, Dennis, and that's a really rare thing. And you, I know you went to like BTT, and you people would want to go to BTT. Then you go to Gordo's, and then you go to Baja, and then you go to Umaita. And you know, like I don't know anybody in the jiu-jitsu community that that can say they they don't like you. Everybody likes you and knows you. And and when you took all the the people visiting down and took care of them, I, I happened to know someone who 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 was there and and they they it was like not they're not really like a friend, but like an acquaintance or just talking. And they just had nothing but amazing things to say about what you did there. And it it was just fantastic that you did that. You know, it was great for the community. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was that was a big thing for me too. Is bringing uh, a lot of academies together that hadn't been brought together before, and uh, as you know very well, I don't know if uh, you know 
what level of understanding most of your listeners have, but in the 90s, 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s, if you trained, if you cross-trained at another gym, it was completely frowned on. I, when I, right after I got down there in 2003, I trained with uh, an athlete from another gym just because I needed a higher level of boxing. And uh, I, when I came back to, to, to train at, at Gracie Baja, I had a black eye from, from training. And they're like, where did you get that from? What, what's going on? You're, you know, you're, yeah, I remember you told me that story techniques and I couldn't believe it. I was like, well, all of those guys now they cross train all the time, but they, back in the day, they didn't understand. And they were really really pissed at you. I remember you told me that story. Oh yeah. They were like going to kick you out. They were pissed. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, They were ready to kick me out of the, I remember the Valley Pseudo team and right. And there was that one guy, we won't say his name, but that one guy who was mean mugging you on the mat all the time. And I remember you saying, yeah, he's still pissed because I, we won't say his name, but you know, we know who it is. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 We got through all of that crap. Uh, but it's, you know, it, it did, it did. It was, it meant a lot to me to be able to bring these academies together. I mean, you might, we trained at, at uh, all of the top academies in Rio de Janeiro. I brought people to all of them, both Luta Livre and uh, and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And and uh, I'd even you know gone as far as been able to to create or rebuild some friendships from from uh, professor Jiu Jitsu professors and athletes that that wouldn't even look at each other, you know, or they they just acknowledge the the presence of the other one, you know, and that was it was amazing to me to be able to get down there. These were people in the '90s that I looked at, like uh, Valige and 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 uh, the Minotauro brothers and and all these guys that they were just like, oh man, I wish someday that I could, you know, I could could meet these guys in person. Pretty, you know, they were in my my uh, Rolodex, and they're, they're people that I would talk to on a regular basis, and it was a, it was a very amazing experience for me because Mario Sperry, so on Gordo, all these people that you know it was it was amazing for me and a, a very unique and uh and uh unforgettable uh, uh life-changing experience having lived down there wow and then uh, you were yeah. you were there for what in eight years nine years 12 years oh, 12 years oh, wow yeah okay. I went, but yeah. i do have one First question I can, I, can i interrupt yeah, can I, how crazy is yeah. valige <laughs> he's crazy. He is he's pretty yeah. crazy, right? <laughs> so I got to see behind the scenes and in uh, uh, some of the production of some of his jungle fights and oh, oh, uh, his wow. negotiations. Uh, like when they they uh, he took a jungle fight into Cidade de Deus, and which is you know if you've seen the movie, you know it's nuts in that area. It was one of the most dangerous areas of the city, and uh, he took. Uh, he took jungle fight in there and he had, uh, you know, had uh, spectators from all different walks of life in there. And I was fortunate enough in that, in that scenario, we took a group of people from connection Rio to go watch the fights there, which was crazy. We had, uh, had talked about a, another level of, of, uh, of uh, corruption as well, <laughs> leaving, uh, leaving the fights. And this is a place where, um, uh, where taxis generally speaking, don't even want to go because they're, they're afraid of getting robbed. Uh, we had, uh, or I spoke with the with the military police because I I speak Portuguese, so I I talked them into to getting some taxis for us. And uh, it turns out that, that when the taxi showed up, they're like, "Wow, it's going to be uh, X amount of AIs to to get back to the hostel." And they were they wanted to charge us like four or five times what it was. And I said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "You know, I I know I know better than that what the fare is." And they go, "We have to." They said the police held us at gunpoint and told us that if we don't charge you this much and give them a kickback. Then, uh, then we're going to have problems. 
<laughs> oh man, and, and that's crazy. Brazil, was, I wasn't there for very long, but you know, uh, it was it's a pretty crazy place. And I know um, that that's amazing that he went into the city of God to to do that. It's like that's one of the things that I like about certain members of the jiu-jitsu community is they really don't forget where they came from and they try to give back a lot. You know, that's that's a wonderful thing. You know, um, um, uh, so that that's fantastic. I I also want to say that I aren't you the only non-Brazilian to train with the Bope? Uh, I don't know now. That uh, might, well, might we were the first. Now, but, but yeah, we had, I was, I was uh, fortunate enough. I, when, uh, so I knew that, I knew they were out there and I really wanted to get, uh, arrange a tour or to be able to, to have the people from Connection Rio go up there and, and check out Bope. And uh, I, so I walked up to this, guard it's a there's a sign there that says that don't make any sudden movements as you walk up there to, to two guys holding their their uh, assault rifles uh up in a in a tower actually and, before uh, you go on can you guys. explain to our listeners exactly what bop is because i think some people may not have seen the movie elite squad or not familiar yeah so bop is uh it's their elite police troop and uh, they they they, they Generally speaking, they only call Bopi when things get so bad that they they just need a, a squad to go in there and, and finish off whoever's uh, opposing the police or, or whatever. And they, they're, they're not known for taking any prisoners at all. Uh, so they, <laughs> I went into this, uh, I went into this place there like just, uh, t- just as a, a insight as well. They're not even allowed to smile in photos when you take a photo of their, their stuff. If they're in the photo, they're not allowed to smile. It's a part of their, whatever their, their code of conduct <laughs> And uh, so I went up to these guys and, and talked to them and, and was able to uh, arrange a meeting with one of their commanding officers and get uh, the first tour of foreigners to be able to go through there, or at least civilian foreigners to be able to go through there and see their, uh, the, the cuartel uh, in, in Rio. And it was pretty amazing. We got to do something that was, uh, you know, nobody had done before and see the inside of that, which eventually led to... Um, uh, being able to to go up there and train, and I think a good friend of mine, Anton Jaouj, who is a Brazilian Olympic wrestler, who uh, was going up there consistently to train, and he brought me with him, and and uh, we got you know myself, and he was able to train up on the mats in there. It was a uh, you know really good, really great experience. And uh, they have but, some serious, serious training. As some people may not realize, but a lot of our counterterrorism people went down to Brazil to train with the Bulpi because they're so amazing at urban warfare. That's like they're like the yeah. best urban warfare troop in the world, like because the favelas are usually on hills. So they're always fighting at a tremendous disadvantage and their ability to they train, you know, like um Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu, everything. They just train everything, and their their ability to 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 get out of these hairy situations is just unparalleled. I'm not I'm really that well versed in what they do, but I know in military circles they're extremely respected. Oh yeah, they they were. I heard some stories from those guys and and things that they would do and and uh, some of their tactics and and I just I remember thinking I, I still you know one of the things they were talking about is leading up to when they're called into action okay you guys are gonna you guys are gonna uh advance on this position here they'd hide in a little tunnel like in the sewer or something for three days and they couldn't move they'd be like chest to back there'd be a a group of eight ten of these guys just waiting for the signal to go in and and take over this area it was nuts and and uh uh Alimon was one of the places that we got a tour of as well and uh 
that was nuts. That was that was even worse than Cidade de Deus. And uh, they took that over, and they were showing where they had fortified this place. And uh, they were they ran into some heavy resistance. Like the 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 drug cartel had uh, they had any aircraft guns, and they were they were shooting through the concrete barriers at the police as they came up the hill after them. And uh, it was pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. They, you can still see the holes oh, in the. You know, I'm talking about concrete divides, and they were shot right through them with their anti-aircraft gun. It was crazy. Wow. But, uh, yeah. Unbelievable. It was pretty amazing. It was yeah. a very unique experience. And I, I heard all of them, they're all really, really good at jiu-jitsu. I mean, obviously, yeah, I'm sure it varies, but I heard they take their combat training, unarmed combat training, very seriously. They do. Yeah. They do take it very seriously. Uh, yeah. Some of their guys are, are very tough. I had, uh, you know, had the pleasure of training with a number of them. Uh, and uh, yeah, definitely. They, 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 those guys, any kind of elite uh, troop in the world, and uh, you know, they're training every day of the year. Yeah. Those guys, both armed and unarmed combat, they're always ready. Yeah, they're always ready. Did they teach you the secret yeah. handshake? Did they, do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> the secret handshake. Yeah. Oh, you don't know that. Okay. I can show it to you sometime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so you left yeah, Brazil yeah. and went back home to Bend and you started up your your academy there and uh um how long you have been 4 years now 5 years now since you moved back No not e- not even that I got back in uh, 2016 oh. spring of 2016 so yeah it hasn't even been uh, hasn't even been uh 4 or 5 years yet it's uh uh, it was a very, like having, I spent 10 years straight in Brazil before I came back. Like, like I said, I had a, over 12 years in Brazil, but I had spent 10 years straight. So when the adjustment back into, uh, the American culture and, and getting back here, not to mention, uh, just coming back and seeing my hometown, which had changed drastically since when I was a kid. And, uh, it was, it was pretty amazing. And one of the reverse culture shock. Yeah, I had the same yeah. thing when I came back from Japan. You know, I lived in Japan for many years, and I came back. I'm like, this doesn't feel like home anymore. This is totally different, you know. And it's it's this reverse culture shock you get. It's it's. I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah, that was something somebody had long ago had told me that as well. Is once you've lived in another country, no place will really feel like home anymore. It'll always feel you'll always feel like you're missing a little piece of your home. And uh, it was it was really it was weird to me to, to walk around when I was, I could speak English with everybody and uh, the infrastructure works here and <laughs> take a lot of things for granted that, uh, that, you know, I didn't really have the same appreciation for until I'd lived out of the United States for a long time. And, you know, I'm very thankful to be here in the U S and, and for everything that we have here, uh, the but it was food? a huge, uh, uh, it was, it was a huge honor for me to be able to come back to my hometown because of the fact that, uh, it was full circle and not to mention, uh, full circle to the point where the same karate studio that I originally walked into train martial arts for the very first time in 1984 is now my jujitsu academy. No kidding. So That's great. Nice. But Matt, yeah. ha- Matt has a question for you. Oh, a- uh, compare the yeah. food, but Brazil yeah. versus, uh, Oregon. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, I love steak and seafood, so um, the, the food here in, in Oregon is, is pretty amazing. But I love the food in Brazil as well. The picanha, uh, you know, the, if you guys like the churrascarias and, and uh, 
feijoada and uh, pão de queijo and acai and all those things. Acai in the United States has no compared no, to, it's to like, acai. That, yeah, it's like you nothing, know, isn't it? Yeah. Like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Lunchtime for us. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> we're thinking about food. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the abundance of, of you know, fresh it, fruits it, and, and stuff, it, it, was, it, it was very... Um, it's just amazing to have yeah. that. Like almost every corner in Brazil, as you know, Renee, that when you walk around down there, it's uh, there's juice bars everywhere. Everywhere. You know, and so and fruit you've never food. seen before. There's so many weird fruit. You're like, what is this? And you're like, oh my God, this is the most delicious thing I've ever tasted. <laughs> what is this? Oh, yeah. it's this thing. Oranges? Yeah. <laughs> um, but but um, I want to I just pick your brain. I know we've got we to wrap up a little bit, but I want to pick your brain. You know, you've only opened the school for a little bit, but you have so much experience training with uh, – I know you trained with Rafael Dos Andres and a lot of other MMA fighters. I know you used to train with Babalu a little bit too, right? Didn't you? When he yes, was on Grace? absolutely. Yeah. Babalu and, was the team captain when, when – uh, When you were when, there. Uh, yeah, when I was back in Brazil in, in 2004, I think. is, And that was a huge thing too. I don't want to get off track or into another subject. No, go ahead. Babalu – Babalu came from a Luta Livre background, and at the time when he came over, I remember all the all the black guys like, watch out for the footlocks, and, you know, because there was a huge rivalry for years between Luta Livre and, uh, and Jiu-Jitsu, and, and uh, the, the team manager at the time, Carlos Malta, uh, he was very open-minded, and he brought in these guys uh, that were essentially our opposition for years uh, to be a part of the team, and it was an amazing thing, and it was, uh, Babalu's a was an excellent team captain and a great guy. And man, he trained his ass off every day, you know, doesn't matter what, you know, what kind of shape he was in. Uh, if he, if he was tired, if he had, had jet lag, it didn't matter. He was training and he was always there and always set a very good example for, for uh, the other athletes on our team. And, uh, and yeah, and it was, that was an amazing experience as well. And, and also same you, with, you know, I, you trained a lot with go Gordo ahead. too. It must've been a great experience training with Gordo. It was. Yeah, the was, master of the half guard for those that don't the, know. Yeah, all of that, all of that mat time with Gordo and and so many of the so many of the athletes that were there at, uh, at the time, and both in Gracie Baja and then in uh, 2007 when Gordo opened his academy in Largo de Baja, which was actually his second academy in Rio, and uh, I was full time training there, and that was it, morning, noon, and night. Uh, it was uh, it was an amazing experience, and I'm very fortunate to have had it. And he's one of those guys. Gordo has such refined basics and fundamentals that I would, you know, a lot of people when they're blue belts should listen to this is is as they're coming up. Ah, I don't want to do those basics anymore. I've done I've drilled those enough. I've done those enough. But as a, a brown and black belt, I would volunteer my time. I would say, please make me your uke. I want to, you know, I want to I want to join you for the uh, for the private lessons that you're teaching. Use me. Use me. And I did it. I'd be the dummy the whole time. And if I picked up one thing uh, in a lesson, it was all worth it. And uh, believe me, I picked up plenty of stuff from that. And uh, it was definitely worth my while. You know, it's so that's interesting that. you say that because I think that's also like – I don't want to get on like the, the oh, back in our day kind of thing. But the respect for basics – is so important. And this actually I wanted to talk to you about just how you approach coaching. You, your academy has not been open for that long, but I, I just watched your videos, your students, their technique is so clean and refined. And I love that. It's like what I want to do. And how do you, you know, how do you approach teaching with all these years of experience going with all these phenomenal athletes? How do you like, I'm trying to inculcate a real respect of fundamentals and, and drilling. I say drillers make killers. Drill, drill, drill. And there's yeah. some classes I was like, we're not going to spar today. The sparring class, we're not going to spar. Everybody's going to drill, main, just mount, mount. What we're going to do is we're going to learn how to do mount. And we're going to just drill mount for yeah. two hours. And that's what we're going to do. And everybody's like, yeah. hey. 
<laughs> but no, actually, yeah. I'm, I'm blessed. Yeah. I'm blessed with some students. I really don't get that that reaction too much. They know, but it's like you know that 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 is sort of like what I find is a lot of academies are more in the habit of like making their customers happy than making people into martial artists. So like, okay, uh, we're just gonna have some fun rolling today, and everybody's like, oh great. But then like two years later. They're not better. You know, like, oh. Uh, no, they yeah. didn't progress. They didn't yeah, progress. They, they, Everybody's they, happy. They They're happy, up. but they still suck. You know, like, um, but anyway, how, how do you approach your academy, your teaching, or just your, your philosophy on, on, on training for jiu-jitsu, for self-defense, jiu-jitsu for MMA, or just, just training in general? I would like to pick your brain because for me, I train in Brazil. And when I was there, I trained with so many top guys, and I'm very grateful to him. But the best training I experienced was with this purple belt. It's 7 a.m. and Gracie Baja. His name was Dennis Ash, and it was like, whoa! Like a part part of it was maybe a little bit, like 10 percent was that you actually speak English, but but 90 percent was like this this real gift that you have of con- conveying subtle concepts and um, and teaching. And I'd like to just ask you, you know, our listeners, if they're interested in in getting better, either jiu-jitsu or at any martial art, because you have such a variety of background, how do you approach your, your philosophy on, on combat and training and, and just in general? Uh, for... Uh, big question, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, it's a good question. A big question, good question. Uh, just taking a step back, I've, you know, I've been since I've been training and teaching in different martial arts for so long, I've, it's kind of an eclectic view on teaching. Uh, I give, you know, credit to even my, the, the people that taught me how to teach karate, you know, and, uh, looking at, uh, looking at different learning modalities, uh, visual kinesthetic auditory and how I teach the people in that sense. Uh, I, I give credit to, uh, to having been able to teach when, when I was, operating connection rio in brazil uh, i taught literally thousands of people from all over the world uh, we had you know well over 2000 guests there and uh in addition to teaching you know natives in in brazil and such it really you know that that allowed me to work on and develop uh, a lot of different uh methods of teaching but it, right from the beginning uh, I program the classes out in advance so that each week correlates with the following week. So I never go into class and I'm okay. Today we're going to work on uh, 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 leg lock, and then tomorrow it's like okay, well we're going to work on uh, armbar, passing yeah. the guard, yeah, or right. armbar or yeah. something. Everything fits together. So uh, that way, it, it, it's for me, it's been the best way to help uh, increase. Uh, the ability of the students to learn and it really makes sense. So, and that uh, great. I do the same thing. I actually have a monthly theme and I just come just one month. We do the same thing every single class for the whole month. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes all the difference. And then one one month is related to the next. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we do one of the things I love from John Machado, as far as uh, being able to break a game down and, and, uh, and add to it or, or build on to the best attributes. And I, I don't shy away from uh, making people work the things that they're, uh, they're having the most difficulty with. But at, at a normal class for us, uh, we don't do any traditional warm-ups. And I've been like that for well over a decade. That's how my classes have been. I don't do jumping jacks, push-ups, anything like that. Aside from, I, I take that back. In a kid's class, we'll do push-ups uh, as a disciplinary action, but we call it the push-up game. So they actually enjoy doing it, but <laughs> but in the adult class, uh, we start out with uh, solo drills or line drills, um, where we work the the individual footwork and movements that go behind the techniques, 
uh, we go right from that into partner drills and uh, even some of the line drills are with partners. Uh, from there, we move on to uh, partner drills on the on the mat, and uh, then we do our takedowns and throws. Uh, first, just the entries, then all the way to the mat, executing the takedowns and throws. Uh, stretch out for a, for a few minutes, and then we head into technique. And as I said, it correlates with the, the day before, the week before, and is setting you up to be able to add that to the next week next week's classes. After that, I focus on positional sparring, and we do that every single class. We always have positional sparring. So if we're working on a, a set of moves or, or, uh, or any any specific part of our game, you know that we're going to be working that in our positional sparring. So there's it helps to bridge the gap. It's not like okay, here's the technique. All right, let's go spar. It's uh, you're going to have to work out of that specific position. And it's great for people that uh, it helps to develop the game as well, because if you're really a half guard player and you're forced to play uh, guard passing game from spider guard or something, then it's going to, it's going to help you to open your mind and, and, uh, and really expand your jujitsu. And then from there we go into our, our uh, free training or our sparring. And then uh, after that, we cool down with, uh, with sweep. So even after you're tired, you still have to, be able to function technically oh, uh, oh. and apply your sweeps. And that's an average class for us. That's great. That's fantastic. I'm going to steal some of those. <laughs> but I, it's funny because I'm, <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very happy that I see a, a tremendous overlap of what you do and what I do. And, but I can also see some improvement from my classes too. Uh, um, but I, I awesome. think we're seeing the same thing. And I think maybe it's also because we come from the Machado background and, and they're just so gifted, especially Carlos, who's like – you know, like one of the most brilliant teachers I've ever seen in my life, you know, I, of course, all the Machado brothers yeah. are. There's a, Hegan would just say one word to me and I'd be like, oh, my God, that changed my game 1000 percent. That there's one word, you know, here. Huh? Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, like just, <laughs> and, and John Jacques Machado, for the people who don't know, he's he's missing his, his hand and he's one of the best grapplers yeah. in the world. And uh, in a grappling sport, a gripping sport to have no a missing hand or fingers on your hand. And to be so yeah. amazing. Only the thumb. That's Only, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, he's unbelievable. Yeah. And his ability to create champions and, and, and super technical. The, the, the brothers are fantastic people. And I think you and I both can tell that we, we are so fortunate to have, have encountered them. But I also want to say that I am so fortunate to have met you. Um, you are one of those people that I said, you know, this is, this is, he's the guy that I'm going to compare myself, not in a, you know, I'm going to aspire to not compare, but I'm going to aspire to when I have that level of technical excellence and that level of ability to teach and that level of ability to communicate and to go forth and just to carry yourself. Like I've never seen you act in any way that wasn't just, you know, I'm like, wow, he's so He's just he's himself. He's authentic. You know, you're we had John Will on recently, too. And you remind me of him, a, a younger version. You guys are just super authentic people who wherever you are, people are more joyful. And 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 uh, it just it was such I look back on on my time in Brazil. And of course, I had some great training with a lot of wonderful people, but um, including Jenny Habello and Sir Lazavedo. And so he's so, so many guys so that guy a little bit. And but yeah. the a person who made the most impact on my game was you. And I to this day, like yesterday, I was teaching something you taught me. You know that 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 yeah. Americana you when they pin you in the side control and you hit them in Americana that whole sequence you do. Yeah. <laughs> I still remember. Oh. I drill it. I drill it like once a week. Period. You know, like you know, oh. you know the one I'm talking about, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you made me drill that like five hundred times. For that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate you making time to tell me that. That that does mean a lot. No, I'm you, glad you, that I was able to make an impact on on your jujitsu journey. Uh, it's that's awesome to hear. Yeah. And thank you for passing along those techniques. 
that's really important too. It doesn't stop with us. It's you know it goes on to the next generation, the next uh, absolutely the next people. So you know, I tell you, we're it, only it one link on in down. a chain. You know, like I can trace my lineage in judo, traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu, and, and all the way back to the 16th century. And the same thing with my link in in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, we we're, we're this link all the way to ancient Japan, and you know, there's the link going forward too. So we have a responsibility to the next generation. But um, you know, you are a person who who's also bridged the the old, you know, the Valley Tudor world and the modern jiu-jitsu world, and, and we can see his changes. And, and you know, I, I hope one day not only will I visit, but I can take a whole bunch of my students over so they can experience your your teaching as well. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, I know you're in uh, Bend, Oregon. Do you, is it still ConnectionRio.com that you use as your website or contact information? ConnectionRioBJJ.com. Got it. Yes, sir. And anybody who gets a chance to train with uh, Professor Ash, you will not regret it. This man is unbelievable. Like, people talk about John Danaher, blah, blah, blah. You know, of course, he's great, too. But, you know, you're up there, one of the greats. Mm -hmm. And thank you for taking so much time. Thank you. Thank you for taking so much time to... uh, uh, to speak with us. And uh, the only thing is like, there's, I know so much more about you that, that you're so humble. You don't say that. Yeah. I was a main training partner of a UFC champion, you know, <laughs> no big deal. yeah, no big deal. Um, but uh, thank you so much. I hope we can have you come on again and we can maybe even discuss fights or something like that because you're, you're truly brilliant. And, uh, and I would love to, to pick your brain even more. Thank you. Anytime. Uh, pleasure is mine. Wonderful. And, uh, it's been an honor to be on your show. Thanks. I'll Thanks. see you soon. Talk to you soon. Lived up to the hype, my All man. Right. <laughs> uh, thank you, sir. Uh, have a good that. afternoon. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Bye.